I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Boing, 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 boing. Welcome back to the Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and in today's beautiful episode, I got to chat with Mr. Matt Frazier from No Meat Athlete. Really, really rad conversation. Greatly appreciate his time coming on. Matt has been featured in, I got a list of places he's been featured in, Runner's World, Huffington Post, Forbes, Shape, Trail Runner, uh, all sorts of great places. He's got something like over 300,000 visitors to his online reality per month. Um, people are paying attention to what this guy is saying and I think it's because he's just such a darn nice guy. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. But it's beautiful to get to talk with Matt because he's just, uh, he's very humble and um, very genuine and I greatly appreciate that. And he is well, is a ultramarathon athlete, he is a writer, he has a really beautiful podcast called No Meat Athlete. And uh, you can flip over to that and check out his most recent episode if you feel inclined to hear he and I continue on the conversation, talking about movement, talking about functionality, how to bring that into all aspects of your reality. We got into his journey moving away from any types of animal products and uh, actually experiencing more success in his athletic endeavors, which I find interesting and intriguing. You know, I probably won't be letting go of butter and eggs anytime soon. Um, really, really wonderful conversation. We get into movement, we get into running, we get into philosophy, we get into all sorts of great stuff. The Renaissance gave rise to reductionism, which allowed us to do so many good things and discover so many cool things about the body. And then to sort of return to this holistic view that was kind of how the world was before then, it, it seems scary and irresponsible, you know? So like, I, I think it's really interesting to see to see what's happening with science going that way and in different fields starting to, you know, bring in more of these elements that used to be, like you said, if you can't see it, then it must not, must not exist. So, wonderful talk. Thank you, Matt, appreciate it. Oh, please be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there you will find Hundreds of free videos on self-care and functional movement, self-care kit, hollow foam roller, screw on lids, two different size myofascial release balls, heavy duty elastic band with a door anchor so you can adjust the height of that little sucker. Um, what else do we got? A couple things. I'm working on uh, my house, as you know. Uh, yesterday, a little metaphor popped up for me when we were arboring, cutting down some branches off of an old tree. And uh, my, my arbor, arbor buddy, he mentioned supporting positive growth in the tree. So anytime you're finding a branch that's pointing down towards the ground, potentially sickly, obviously, um, snip that guy off so that we can support the energy towards the branches that are going up. And I found that to be really important in relation to uh, branches that I have in my life, being relationships, being habits, being anything that I am doing that is not supporting positive growth. 
another little, this is not a quote, this is just something I got out of this book that I was reading, The Way of Aikido, I believe is how you call it. And uh, talking about Aikido attempts to blend one's body with their opponent to manipulate from within their movement instead of, instead of smashing from outside. That comes down into movement complexity, it comes down into empathy, being able to settle down, silence yourself enough that you can really hear, feel, sense what someone else is doing, be able to integrate with them and then make create change from within as opposed to continually smashing, much like we do with our military industrial complex. Thank you so much for tuning in. Greatly appreciate all your time and care and consideration. Um, if you can jump on the Amazon portal on the right sidebar of the blog and the podcast page and uh, bookmark that. Anytime you make a purchase, I will get a small percentage of that to uh, support the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, reviews, comments, all that on iTunes. Five-star review are super, super helpful. Thank you so much for people doing that. That uh, increases ratings and makes me smile and all that. I think we might be ready to go. Yeah, Matt Frazier. Rick it, rick it. Wah, wah. Align Podcast. The idea of someone switching to this diet, not really for performance reasons, but being really motivated by performance, um, people kind of grasp onto that journey. And then when, I, when it worked and when I succeeded, that, that certainly helped too. And the other thing is that I was really afraid of becoming like, the preachy vegetarian vegan guy. Like yeah. that was one of the reasons I delayed switching my diet this way. Cause I sort of thought like, I, you know, I wasn't raised this way or didn't know what it was like. I didn't know any vegetarians or vegans. And I thought that if basically if you did this, you were going to become one of those people who hands out leaflets on campuses and, and PETA throws blood or whatever, ketchup at people. I don't, I don't know what they even do, right. but I'm just so turned off by that stuff that I stayed as far as I possibly could away from, anything that might resemble that attitude. And I tried to be like just this normal guy who happened to be vegetarian. And I encouraged people to just like do what they could and just try little things and like never said you should, and still haven't ever said you should eat this way and you're wrong for eating this other way. Uh, so I just kind of gave a lot of tools and, and said like, this is really cool and it's working for me, but I didn't like ever push it more than that. And I, I've gotten a lot of emails from people who say they appreciate that particular aspect of it that attitude of it yeah it's i think it's statistically proven that those people are the most annoying people in the world <laughs> it is there's been a lot of good studies there's about that <laughs> yep compelling evidence compelling evidence you know, so why so your conversion into changing your diet up what was what was was it like moral reasons or what was the deal for yeah you? it was it was just moral ethical stuff i had uh gotten a dog like i, I was in grad school so i was living on my own uh, with my girlfriend, actually, and we got a dog. Actually, we no, we were married by then. I'd gotten a dog um, and was really just like fell in love with this dog. And I, and I started to, I had heard from people before this idea that, you know, pigs are just as smart as dogs. Not from people who were arguing about vegetarian, but just stating a fun fact that, that a pig is as smart as a dog. And it just hit me as really strange that I could connect with a dog in this way and then eat a pig for breakfast and, and it was just like how how can i possibly do that i wouldn't imagine ever eating a dog for breakfast how can i do the same to a pig and uh and i just like that was it and i just started thinking about that read some books about consciousness and different things about how not not for the for the reason of 
going further with that idea, I think I would just happen to be attracted to those thoughts and, you know, just sort of arrived at the belief that that people and, and, and especially and the animals that we have are, as pets aren't really any fundamentally different from the animals that we're eating. We're just we're just smarter. But like, you know, <laughs> it's not like we're I don't think we're that different from them. So I just started feeling wrong about it personally, didn't want to do it anymore, but was because I was on this this Boston Marathon quest that meant so much to me. I was really hesitant. So what I, and because I, I had the same misconceptions that you can't get enough protein, you can't get enough calories, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, so when I when I finally like my my progress towards Boston had kind of stalled a little bit, it kind of plateaued. So I felt like I didn't, I wasn't going to get there on my current trajectory. So it's not like I was giving up the whole Boston Marathon dream. I mean, I kind of thought I had I had given my shot at it and probably wasn't going to get there or had a you know remote shot maybe, but it's not like I was giving up a certain. Boston Marathon qualification. I just gave up the diet and, and it, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I did it. And actually for the first year, I only ate, not, not when I started the website, but the first year as I started the transition before I started the site, um, I gave up eating cows and pigs. I stopped eating four-legged animals basically and, and kept the chicken and turkey in my diet. And I was eating that stuff every night. But to me, that meant that I could still get the protein that I thought I needed. And, uh, did that for like a whole year before I said, okay, I'm going to cut out the, the birds now and just eat fish as my main protein and did that. And that only for like 30 days. And then after that, I realized I could just do fine with just the vegetables and I didn't need the animals anymore. So it was a very slow transition, not, not deliberately trying to get all the way to vegetarian, but just kind of doing what I could. And each time I realized that it worked really well, I felt great. And, uh, and my running was, was getting better too. So it, huh. it just worked out really well. So what, what did you feel what do you attribute to the running getting better? What was that whole transition like? Yeah, I, I get that question a lot. And like I said earlier, I'm kind of, I, I don't want to be the guy who says, I qualified for Boston six months after I went vegetarian because I went vegetarian. Like, I, I don't know if that's the reason. I, I think it was because my training had really stalled, like I said, and I was not improving, had never trained like I did this summer after I went vegetarian. Hmm. Um just couldn't. I, if I had tried to do those that many workouts and I was training a really hard program where it'd be like, I would finish one workout and I'd be like, God, how am I going to do that again? Two days from now, I was just ex wiping myself out. Uh, but this time I, I recovered and I kept recovering and I didn't get injured like I did every other time when I'd started the train and it would start to go really well. Um, and I'm not the only one. Like there are, there are lots of elite athletes. The, uh, the UFC fighter who just beat Conor McGregor. I don't even know his I think Diaz, is that his name? Yeah. He's he's yes. vegan. A lot of those guys do it for the recovery benefits. They they say that this diet helps them recover the fastest. And I think that's what's happened to me. So why, what's the mechanism that causes that? I tend not to think that it is the removal of the poison that is meat and dairy from our diets that suddenly allows our bodies to recover. Mm. Maybe that's part of it. Um, I just, I just, like I said, I'm scared of those thoughts and having that attitude. So <laughs> to me, it was, I think... I started eating vegetables and fruits. Like I was eating, I had read Chris Carmichael's book about nutrition and other ones. And I was just at the point where like, I thought chicken breast and brown rice was my go-to meal and a vegetable might make it onto the plate. And I thought if I get this much protein, this corresponding amount of carbohydrate and this many total calories, then I'm doing what I should do as an endurance athlete. And I wasn't eating vegetables. Like they were just not a big part of my diet. Maybe some nights I'd have them, uh, but when I went vegetarian, I started like, you know, I didn't really know what to cook. So I'd start going to the farmer's market and just buying what was there, basing entire meals off of what was in season. My grocery trips 
changed entirely. I started going to the store. Produce aisle would be like 80% of my trip. And I'd have this huge cart full of produce. And that was just a total transformation in the way I ate. So I think I was now getting all these wonderful plant foods, these phytochemicals, all these other, this nutrition, basically, these nutrients, especially micronutrients, not the macro stuff that I was focused on. Right. And I think having all that stuff, all the anti-inflammatory stuff, all that stuff, I believe helped me to recover better. And I think that's probably what helps so many athletes who, who are having success with it. I think that's probably the mechanism that helps them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, what I, the way I grew up was eat as much meat and protein supplements and creatine, you know, it is just as, as humanly yeah. possible and just get as jacked as possible and be very insecure, but covered all up with muscles and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was my jam. You know? <laughs> and, you know, I think it's very, it's very like caveman simplistic to think like, well, I look at the muscle of an animal. I put that in my face that, you know, one to one, like muscle in my ass now. That's the way it works. You know, it's like, but, yeah, I mean, you can see why people think that way. I mean, I, it makes sense, but, <laughs> but we don't, we don't look at like the, the strength of a cell wall and, you know, in a, in a plant, you know, or the flexibility right, right, right. or it's like photosynthesis. Like it's such a complex, intricate, intelligent system. And we just kind of disregard that because it's, we don't have that obvious one-to-one muscle equals muscle, but it's the 21st century, baby. Like we, you know, like we're smart now. Exactly. So we can look at the animals that, that are big and strong and muscular like that and see what they eat. And, and by and large, it's not other animals. I mean, you know, gorillas eat some whatever crickets and and grubs and things like that. But I think like 98% of their diet is, is fruits and shoots and leaves and all that stuff. So not to say that we're the same as gorillas and, and what they eat is what we should eat, but there, there are lots of great examples in nature that you, that there are creatures who get lots of muscle by eating plants. So sure. not, that doesn't mean that we are one. I'm not trying to say that implies this, but it does imply that there are, there are creatures who do that. So, yeah. um, I, I think, you know, and that, that argument to me, it makes just as much sense as the other one. So, yeah. uh, at least cancels it out. Yeah. So then... There are the vegans who are notoriously unhealthy because they're only eating, you know, brown rice and asparagus and they're just, their nutrient profile is just horrible, you know? So how that's the, that's, you know, one of the things it's like, you can be vegetarian, you can be vegan. You just have to be smart, you know, or at least just be blasted about, have a huge garden with everything in it and. Just be eating everything. It's like you need to be thinking about that. Whereas meat, you get a little bit more of a complete nutrient profile with just the ingestion of the thing. Am I wrong? Disagree with me, Matt. It's okay. Go. No, I mean, so I I think what you're saying is is right. Like, but I don't know about if if you can, can you be just as ignorant and if you're going to be totally ignorant, I guess the question is, can you, are you better off eating animals and animal products if you're not going to think about anything then if you're not and i would argue no i don't think so i think you're going to be like most of our country is and, and look the way those people do um so, you know i i think if if we had a country full of people who were vegan but didn't think about their food at all i don't think we'd be the healthiest country in the world but i think we'd be a lot skinnier for sure right. um so so you know i i don't know I, i'm not sure which would be a better diet to be totally ignorant about but um I guess both, sure both ways you have to be that... both ways yeah. you have to be smart. 
you know, but but so, but with but, but the re, you know the really obvious one is like when you eat a chicken breast or an egg, you're getting a complete protein. You don't need to be thinking about amino acids and and pairing foods together no, so much. You, you definitely don't need to think thinking about it. And honestly, I'm I'm starting to come around on the idea that that complete proteins are not even what we should be seeking. Uh, when you so like the the argument against one of the large arguments against animal protein or, or the mechanism, I guess, by which it uh, is linked to cancers and things like that is the production of this insulin-like growth factor one hormone, IGF-1. Um, and, and it seems, I've heard Dr. Joel Furman is a guy I'm a big fan of, and he talks about how when, when your body takes in a, a complete animal protein that has always been thought to be higher quality because it's complete in, in having this complete amino acid profile, that suddenly the IGF-1, for, for whatever reason, gets gets created or, or produced in order to help your body handle that complete protein all at once. If instead you take in proteins that are incomplete, which is most plant proteins, I can I can admit that because I don't think it's a bad thing, um, <laughs> they, they will sit in your body and, and not be all processed at once. So this, this IGF-1 doesn't get produced because there's no sudden need to process a whole bunch at once. And then later on in the day or the next day when you take in the proteins that happen to complement the or the amino acids that complement the ones you ate, then your body handles it. So it handles it in smaller bits at a time rather than, you know, suddenly hitting your body with 50 grams of complete protein and having to deal with it. So, you know, I'm, I'm the idea that, that we need to combine our foods to create complete proteins. Of course, that that's been kind of proven wrong for the, for a while now. Uh, the idea that complete proteins at all, even if plants were complete proteins, that they wouldn't be such a good thing. Uh, that's sort of a new one for me. And I, I think it's really interesting that, that, uh, you know, that this idea that that complete protein equals quality protein might not be true at all. Yeah. Well, so I'm not a nutrition expert. So, you know, don't listen to anything that I'm saying is all everything is just things that I read and regurgitate. I don't think it, it makes so much sense that you need to have the complete protein in the one sitting. But at some point, you need to be picking up those oh, essential yeah, certainly. amino Absolutely. acids. And I, that's, 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 that's what I'm saying. So if you just don't have that, you know, XYZ yes. amino acid in your diet... That's going to be a bummer amongst all of oh, yeah. the other things that you might be missing out. So I'm curious, as far as like actual information for people to to chew on, um, what should people, if they wanted to check out a vegetarian or vegan approach, like what do we need in the diet? Can you kind of break that down? I mean, I think I think the simplest way to do it is a variety of whole foods. Like I don't yeah. think – so first of all, if, if you truly stick to whole foods. So that means – and I don't mean the store, but the foods that are whole and not processed <laughs> – uh, and I'm not including oil in whole foods. So if you look at just whole foods, when a complete food in general, a diet based on that is going to give your body something like 10% of its calories from protein, yeah. which turns out to be fine. That's when you talk to any elite vegan athlete types, they're getting somewhere in that range between 10 and 15% of their calories from protein. So if you're eating a bunch of oil though, like if oil is representing 20% of your diet, which wouldn't maybe be that hard to do with the amount of calories that are in there, right? Let's say a 2000 calorie diet, 400 calories, which is like three tablespoons of oil, you know, it, it's pretty easy to to take up a ton of your diet with some food that is just one macronutrient, and that's fat and oil, of course. Hmm. So when I say eat a, a diet that is based on whole foods and a variety of them, I'm not including things like oil. So if you just eat foods that really none of the foods that I think you should be eating should be called a protein, a fat, or a carbohydrate. They should have all those things in them because that's what food in nature has in it. So right. if you're eating that way, 
you're going to get those those 10% or more of your calories from protein, and I think you're not going to have a problem. Of course, there is the amino acid issue. Like, you, yes, you need to be eating different plant foods if plant foods is all you're eating. Um, but I think I think variety is somewhat overblown. Like, if you if you eat a good mix of foods and you change what you eat day to day, week to week, you're going to get it. I mean, and and there are of course all the blue zones and things like that where you get these people living to be a hundred and, and large numbers of them compared to everywhere else. Um, a lot of them eat just a handful of foods, most of them plant-based, um, but but they're eating this small handful of foods. I think that you sort of said, like, you mentioned that kind of survivorship idea, right? That there's the, the millions that that doesn't work for and then these right. pockets where it does. So I think the blue zones are kind of pockets where, like, the small handful of foods they happen to be eating, like, look, beans and rice in Costa Rica, right? They, they yeah. get, or, or I guess corn and corn and beans, right, produces complete proteins for them. Um, so I'm not in any way suggesting that people only pick two foods and eat those and hope they're going to do what they need, but eat, eat a variety, eat, you know, eat a dozen or two dozen foods throughout a day or two. And you're going to be, I I really think you're going to be fine. I think it's just, that's the way to do it. Eat whole foods. Uh, you do need to be 12 supplement. Like don't, don't ignore that. I'm not trying to be say this diet has everything you need and you never need to to take a supplement. You do need to take B12 if you're going to eat hundred percent plant-based, uh, in my opinion. But you know, I, you can do that and it's not dangerous to, to, try eating that way yeah i think people we don't give ourselves enough credit for the amount of flexibility that we have you know it's a you yeah. a, a lot of you can fast for a while you know and you'll <laughs> you're gonna feel really good you know it's like whoa i never I, that that just i didn't eat anything for three days and i felt better than i had in 10 years crazy yeah. right and people like argue about <laughs> you know. About like macronutrient ratios, and and they try to say that one is better than another, and like maybe for certain people things are, but you see people who eat paleo diets winning sports events, and you see people who eat vegan diets, yeah. and one's getting thirty five percent of his calories from protein, so the other one's getting twelve percent of his calories from protein. One's getting lots of fat, and you've got the fruitarian guys like Mike Arnstein who wins hundred mile races and he eats like no fat, like just the fat that's in fruits and vegetables is basically the fat he gets, yeah. no nuts and seeds even, and he thrives on that. So like. I feel like macronutrient ratios, like maybe there's some sort of ideal that we should sort of aim for for long-term health. But in the short term, man, I think the body can can work on a lot of different types of diets. Uh, I think whole foods is the way to do it. But but uh, within that, I don't think macronutrient matter ratio matters all that much. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, this is kind of a little bit of a wacky topic, but I think a lot of our food intake is psychological as well. You know, if you feel... Like I'm making the, the the right moral decision, and I'm you know I'm not, I I would guarantee that's going to have an impact on your training or just your your general sense of ease in your life. Is my assumption. Yep, I would agree with that, and I I would also agree that if you are if your diet is stressing you out, like like if you come to a vegetarian diet with the idea that you're not going to get enough protein, uh, or that you need to put a tremendous amount of planning into it to make sure that you do, right. I think that amount of stress is is going to negate whatever good could be done and, and probably set it up so that the diet doesn't work for you. Yeah. Uh, I've heard, I've, I haven't been able to find this study, so I don't know if it's just kind of a made up thing, but what I heard was that there was some study about dark chocolate and the people who were eating it, who believed it was good for them actually showed, you know, the signs of it being good for them in their bodies. And those who believed it was a junk food, a bad food because it was chocolate, uh, did not exhibit those, you know, whatever changes in their body. So I haven't been able to find that, like I said, so I don't know if it's true. Uh, but I hope it is. Like the idea. <laughs> yeah, psychoneuroimmunology is a really cool place to go with that. It's just like 
how everything that we're we're doing, our our belief system, you know, how has such a massive impact on our biology. And it's really it's 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 easy it's easier to put everything into a box and if I can't see it it's not there. But I think that you know the general public is kind of at a place now where it's like we're becoming more accepting that maybe there's more to this diet, nutrition, exercise, everything than yeah. You know what I'm what I'm seeing. It, it does seem like it, and it's a hard thing to do, right? Because because science, the Renaissance gave rise to reductionism, which allowed us to do so many good things and discover so many cool things about the body, and then to sort of return to this holistic view that was kind of how the world was before then. It it seems scary and irresponsible, you know. So like, I, I think it's really interesting to see to see what's happening with science going that way and in different fields starting to you know bring in more of these elements that used to be like you said, if you can't see it, then it must not. That's not exist. Right. Yeah. So as far as with, with, uh, getting back to tangible, tangible stuff with <laughs> running something that I see. So there's a, a marathon here in, in, uh, just like a couple, like a week ago. And I was kind of sort of watching ish as I was going by and it was excruciating watching the mechanics of people, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, there was maybe 1% of people that I saw that was like, that's looking all right. Yeah, that's looking like they're actually <laughs> what, what therapeutically. Mile you know what mile you've ever seen? Probably, about? probably getting the. I don't know what it was exactly, you know. But it, it's yeah. it's it's like it just kind of for me it offers up the question of of why are we we doing this if we're not doing this effectively and and therapeutically, you know. And then you know that, that's an interesting question. And then the next one is how do we do this therapeutically? Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't know why we are if if because clearly you know tons of runners. I think it's seventy percent or something per year of runners report some sort of injury. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and if you look at people's running forms, I mean, who knows what mile you're at? If it was at mile twenty, like yeah, everybody's form is suffering at that point. Uh, I, I think it's maybe called the marathon shuffle or something like that, right. where it's just like <laughs> feet are barely coming off the ground thing. Um, yeah, and and I don't think. Uh, very few people, I think, would argue that the actual process of running a marathon that particular day is a healthy activity for your body, right? It's not, it, you shouldn't run a marathon every day. You shouldn't run, you probably shouldn't ever run 100-mile races. But but to do them now and then and for all the lifestyle things that happen as a result of you going after that, mm. I think they're a good thing. Um, but but certainly, you can do too much of that. You, I think you can overdo it, I think, to be running marathons every day or even every week. Um, is is probably not a good thing for your for your long term health jo- joints and lots of other things too, yeah. um, so I, I think that's that's I mean that's the reason people do it right because there's lots of benefits other than race day and maybe what you're seeing is is race day but of course there are lots of runners who have bad form every time they go out to run and I think that's really just not understanding like like we think we've all grown up wearing these big shoes we learned how to run in in box and Nikes, and we learned our running form with shoes on. You don't often see kids out barefoot running around for very long after their age four or whatever. So we, we've all learned to run a certain way, kind of an artificial way, and everyone who's read Born to Run understands these ideas. They're certainly not my ideas. Um, and, and we assume that, like, because we know how to run and because running's so simple, we shouldn't really need to, like, have any form coaching or think about our form. It's just it's running. It's what we do. Uh, but but that's not really true. I mean, I think like in Kenya, where you, where most of your miles from age one on are in bare feet, they probably do know how to run just because it's what they do. Yeah. But most of us who grew up wearing modern running shoes, I don't think, or modern athletic shoes, uh, we don't know how to run. And it's something that we need to focus on. 
um, that that shoe has, a, and this this will get to the second part of how do you how do you fix it. I think it's not by overthinking it, not by having a hundred form keys in your head, but th basically the the big running shoe for those who don't know these ideas has the big built up heel, and that has allowed us to take this long exaggerated stride where we crash down on our heel on the leg that is a leg that is way out in front of our body, instead of something that is probably much more natural, which is taking a shorter, quicker, lighter stride uh, where you're weight is staying over your feet. So when your feet hit the ground, they're hitting your, the ground right below your body. You're kind of leaning forward. And what happens as you're doing this is it's really hard to crash into the ground with your heel. So, so that kind of became all the rage was how do I stop heel striking? And everyone, I think, still took the long, exaggerated stride, but just pointed their foot down a little bit. And that caused a bunch of, of foot injuries and stress fractures and things like that. Yeah. But if you take a more kind of from the beginning, like where's the problem originating, I think where it originates is that we stride way too long. And the shoe has kind of allowed us to take this long stride. So most runners, if you look at cadence, the, the number of steps that a runner takes in a minute um, of elite runners, they're almost all in the range of around 180 steps per minute. When you look at amateur runners and people who just you know aren't very good at running, it's much, much slower than that. I think it's in the 160 steps per minute range. Yeah. Um, so if you just take the step of speeding up your cadence, if you just wear, listen to a metronome or wear a watch and look at that and make your steps hit the ground so that it's three every second, which if you just try to do it, it's, it's surprisingly, it feels like you're kind of spinning your wheels. It feels like you're taking way too fast of steps. It feels like you look silly. Um, but if you do that, almost everything else falls into place. Like I think that is 95% of running form, maybe more than that, is speeding your legs so you're taking around 180 steps per minute and when you do that, most everything else takes care of itself. I think I think switching to a shoe that doesn't have the big built-up heel certainly can help. Um, so any kind of zero drop or a, a fairly minimal shoe will help with that. But you know, get the right get get decent shoes that don't have a giant heel on them, and take a, run it around 180 steps per minute. And I think that's that's running form. I think that for for most people that is enough. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you know, here at Align Therapy, I do structural integration, so helping people integrate their 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 bodies, sort their joints out, and then movement education. And one of the things that I see with people almost always is we have little to none awareness of our backs, of our butts, of our you know all this stuff that's kind of behind us. You know, we don't really have a sensation or we don't have much intelligence in those spaces. And that's sure. something that I see. I see us carry that over into something like running, you know, where it's like you're running still with this little 12 by 12 cubicle box in front of you. And that's that's where your awareness is. So you just go dun, 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 in the front there. But you get the power and the balance and the poise from your back, from your glutes, mm -hmm. from that fire of really having some dexterity with your legs you know gotcha yeah i mean i i don't have experience with it particularly like you do but i mean totally it makes total sense that i mean it's got to be a balanced act and i should clarify when i said leaning forward i don't mean at the hips i don't mean you're bending at the hip like you see a lot of runners do it's it's more of from the ankle so that your body is still in a straight line but you're you're leaning slightly forward and falling forward as you as you run um yeah and i've heard i've heard also, lots of lots of focus, really, from from people from the philosophies that I like, um, on the legs as they move behind you, rather than on the, yeah, the stride exactly. in front. 
Right. Uh, and I think that's I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And by focusing that pull, this is like, you know, pose method, Romanoff, you know, it's yep. like running on ice. You know, it's it, the longer that your foot is stuck on that ground, the more friction and surface, the more surface area and friction you're, you're creating with that. You know, you're literally jamming yourself into that. So if we can get to that, that's why something like ballet is one of the most beautiful art forms to practice for something like running, I would say, because <laughs> you learn things like jumping and being light on your feet. Right, so that ability to yeah. dance effectively directly translates into running and such. But then you I see like a lot of people kind of missing the missing the potential that they could get from it, and they just get into this one A to B kind of seesaw swing thing. Do you do anything like cross training beyond just that one pattern? Well, I was just going to bring that third thing up that with running, it's very easy for you to go out and run for an hour. But to do the exact same movement that lasts one second, right? You, one right. stride, and you just repeat that movement for a full hour. So it's really easy to see how if, if there is some imbalance at all, or if you're not doing it totally ideal, or maybe even maybe even if you are, yeah. uh, you're just reinforcing this same exact thing. So if you can go out on a trail, it's an entirely different experience right. and one that I think really, really encourages what what you're talking about this this sort of more balanced holistic kind of approach to running not just focusing on this this little 12 by 12 box but um using all the muscles using all these stabilizer muscles forcing you to react differently forcing your brain to think differently um and, and even even switching just shoes from from what i mentioned the traditional running shoe to something that is less supportive forces you to do some more work um but yeah so i think i think trail running you know kills street road running as far as like usefulness long-term health uh, just because it's not the same repetitive movement over and over. Um, as far as cross training goes, I think I think core work is really good for runners. Uh, some little bit. Yeah, if you're talking about just achievement as a runner, if you look at the elites, I mean, most of them aren't doing very serious heavy weight training. It's but uh, going back to that idea of those who who you know the survivorship thing. A lot of them are elites because their bodies can handle only running for you know however long they run, 180 miles per week or who knows what they do. Yeah. Um, so I think I think someone who's like not trying to be an elite runner, I think they can certainly benefit from that, and, and often their running can benefit from some amount of cross training, particularly core work. But man, I think some of those good compound lifts, squats and deadlifts, uh, I think that stuff's really good. There maybe is an increased injury risk as you're first getting into it if you're still trying to run, but if you can get to the point where you become comfortable with squats and deadlifts, I believe you are then way less likely to get injured as a runner. Yeah, absolutely. That the the analogy that I use with that is is tetherball. You know, so if you have a nice strong erect post, that's your core, right? Then and then you smack that ball, you can get real good torque and momentum out of the thing. But if the that's post true. is kind of floppy, like your midsection every time you take a step, then <laughs> you don't have a game on your hands. You just have you know, eventually a broken pole. You know, and so I think that that's something that we end up seeing with runners is if you're not able to maintain that integrity with every pop, every jump, then injury waiting to happen. Do you, is there anything that you do specifically to think about maintaining integrity of midsection? You know, I mean, like, like while I'm running, you mean? Or in general, or, or as far just as in general. Yeah. Like, how I mean, do one make of, that so happen? I don't, I don't focus on many form keys while I'm running them, but one of them is really just kind of having an erect posture, having basically think about the crown of your head going yeah. up towards the sky. Right. Um, that's that's one of few keys that, and, and I mean, you see a lot of people who just don't do that. Runners who completely hunch over while they're running. Um, yeah. So that's one of them. The slight forward lean, of course, the 180 steps per minute. Uh, I mean, core work, just just in general, like I used to do a program called Core Performance. You probably know, this guy named Mark Verstegen. Yeah, um, 
his company used to be called Athletes Performance Institute, but I think it has changed. Uh, there's a really good series of books though called called Core Performance, and one was called Endurance, Core Performance Endurance, and it was just these bands that you would buy, and they were cheap, and you could set them up and do these little movements at home, yeah. and uh, it was a really practical thing because I mean, most runners just don't want to do strength training. They they just they like running. They're in. That's why they're runners. And any time they're spent exercising that isn't running is is miserable. You know, they just don't want to do it. So like, if it's something you can do at home, um, like that for for ten minutes before you run or even after you run, if you want, uh, I think that's that's kind of a something that a lot of runners can can handle. Whereas they're not they're just not going to go to the gym. They're not going to do it. Um, so yeah. as far like writing, what I do nowadays is is go to the gym. Primarily, that's what I do, and I've been kind of running on the side. Um, but I mean, I don't have particular core exercises that I that I swear by or anything. I just I just think kind of keeping your body in shape and and really I, I tend and maybe this isn't that surprising, but I tend to think those compound lifts are kind of all you really need, like deadlifts and squats and things like that, like I and and bench press and shoulder press. But I don't you don't need tricep extensions and all that stuff. It just I just if it's not going to somehow be attached to your core, I don't think it's a really good use of time in the gym. Sure, a tip that people can can uses uh or Stuart McGill, Dr. Stuart McGill, who's like the back man in the <laughs> on earth, is he's coming to the show next next month and he's he has the he calls it the big three exercises, just like a side plank and a curl up and essentially just different varieties of planks, right? Integrating uh-huh. your, your midsection. Something that I've noticed anecdotally with myself is if I'm out for a run or whatever and I'll feel kind of sloppy-ish. I'll just stop and just do core work on the trail. And I swear to God, every time I am way, way more integrated and way stronger with every step after yeah, that. I could totally see that. It makes, I mean, you, you kind of remind your body to fire those muscles and fire. then it just starts doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's turning the lights on essentially, right, you right. know, from a neurological or neuromuscular perspective, it's like, oh, the attic, the lights were just off. Like we literally were moving the whole day. You know, so that's like this sedentary lifestyle. Everyone's like, it's sitting, it's the new smoking. It's like just repetitive movements, the new smoking, you know, so yeah, you can be, uh, you can be a triathlete, you know, superstar, but you only do three motions. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> Yep. So it's like getting outside of the box is what we gotta, you know. So anyway, that's yeah, it. and it's hard to do. I mean, it is even as someone who fully believes that, you know, with two kids and like a family, and I run this business. It's like I get out for a run or I go to the gym, and like that, that, that's what I can do, you know. And but like, I, I mean, that, this is just an example of how hard it is because I, I that, that all sounds to me like totally right. We should all use nature as our gym and go right. do all this stuff, you know. But yeah. It's hard to do for sure. I mean, I can understand why people can can listen to that and roll their eyes and be like, "Well, you know, I'm not going to go do that parkour stuff or whatever." You know? Right. So, um, it, yeah, very real problem for sure. So I, that's why trail running, I think, is is superior to road running by a lot. If you're just gonna, if you're just sticking to running, do that by all means. Right. So then comes into the conversation that you've already touched on, which is uh, minimalist shoes. You didn't say minimalist shoes, but I think you were kind of potentially getting at least flat flats. Yep. You know, but yep. something that you're able to utilize, once again, turn the lights on in your feet. You know, think of your this amazing dexterity that we have with our hands where you do all these like tricks and such. We should be able to have some of that with our feet too. We just forget about them. Totally. And then we jam our feet into these little <gasps> torpedo shaped shoes that pull everything together. And like if you look at the uh I heard this from Golden Harper, who's the founder of Ultra Running. Uh and not to like try to 
send people over to my podcast, but we did an interview <laughs> with him where he just went into all this really cool stuff. Uh, so that was one of our early episodes. I don't even know if it might be on iTunes still, but anyway. Um, but Ultra, to me, has kind of figured a lot of this out and, and their approach is really good. And what they, what I love about the shoes is that they all have, in addition to the zero drop thing, which, which just means that the heel and the toe are the same height, uh, you don't have the built up heel. Yeah. They have this big toe box and they call it foot shaped for marketing purposes rather than like giant, foot, you know, big toe box, big shoes because they right. apparently women don't, I don't, don't have big feet. Of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, All the guys are like, I got huge your, feet. Let your toes, it lets your toes basically splay out when, when you're running. Yeah. And uh, apparently like the, the, in cultures where they only wear open toed shoes, the rate of foot injuries is like dramatically lower. It's like, Dude. it's like 2% of people ever get them versus, you know, and I'm totally misquoting this, but, you know, 60% of people who, who wear regular shoes. It's not something on that magnitude of, yeah. of difference in uh, in injury rates. So, like, just having our feet crammed, our toes crammed in somewhere is, is a huge part of, of the problem. So, yeah, I mean, barefoot running is cool, and if you can work it into wherever, do it after your track workout or on the beach or wherever you can, can manage it uh, in, in a practical setting because we've also got to realize – modern world has things that that the way we evolved to run those services didn't have um right. like who knows rocks and syringes and glass and all that in the road so i mean shoes are good but if you can get them that don't really do much to your feet and kind of just let your foot be a bare foot inside that shoe uh i think that's a really good thing to do it, it is advisable to kind of transition into that gradually like i said if we've been running our entire lives a different way then when suddenly we switch to this new way it's it's going to be weird and if you don't adapt correctly and, and one way to adapt correctly is just gradually just do it let it let the change last three months this period of transition rather than like one week like most runners do yeah. um you know it's, it's possible to get injuries as a result of the change when when maybe you wouldn't have before so it's something to be careful with but man i think it's i think it's really the way to go yeah. like I mean, there's some targeted use for like you know these big hokas now these big shoes i wore those during my 100 miler and they're part of the reason i finished because it, it totally eliminates the a huge amount of the impact that you feel on your feet and feet are one of the, the limiting factors in an ultra marathon like that. But I would never go train in those all the time, like as my everyday shoe, because I just, I just don't think you should have that much cushioning. It just, it's just not good. We're not evolved to run on that much cushioning. Yeah. And Golden tells another story about like an Olympics one time when they added all this cushioning to the mat and then suddenly all the gymnasts got injured because there was extra cushioning there and their bodies didn't know how to, how to handle that. Cause it's not what they've, you know, what their bodies are, are meant to do. Sure. Yeah. It's the, it's the said principle, you know, specific adaptation to impose demand, you know, so if you don't impose the demand upon your system, your system don't get smart. You know, there's no reason <laughs> for it to learn if there's not going to be a test. You know, and so it's like, that's what we have all of these, you know, neurological, psychosomatic, you know, we have all of these different blurs or blank spaces. And then you slip on a piece of ice, you get in a wrestling match or a fight or something like that, or you're playing tag with your kids for the first time, you know, and yeah, you get injured because you have so many dark alleys in right. your movement pattern that you don't know how to, you don't know how to function when things get, you know, real, you know? And so I think that that's something that, that's, it would, it would help runners and every, everybody, you know, to start oh, yeah. to really thinking about, let's start shining the flashlight on all these nooks and crannies of my feet and my hips and my knees and et cetera. I like that. And, and, then, and what, just for my own benefit, what, what are the ways that you would recommend shining that flashlight? Like what, like what are the practical ways to 
Exactly, well, exactly what you're saying already. So for one thing, so I was just working with a woman yesterday who uh, she runs and she gets uh, knee pain and hip pain. And it's like, that's the one thing that gets her. But it's also her, her practice. It's her meditation. It's like, it's so important, you know? Right. And so, and so what I suggest to people is I suggest get rid of your shot clock, get rid of your time thing, you know, and just make it be more of an experience, a movement practice for 60 minutes. Okay. I was going to run for 60 minutes. Go out, you know, use minimalist shoes, get off of the trail, right? Trailblaze, go up through the valley, whatever it is. <laughs> right. Try balancing on rocks. Try squatting. As soon, the second that you are feeling like a little bit tired, a little bit sloppy, walk and work on walking. Intentionally walk and then intentionally run. Cool. You know, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, that, you know, like it. So it's, it's bringing that, it's like always bringing that intentionality. Always thinking prehab, rehab, and everything in between. You know, like, th there should be a workout that is that. And I guess the idea of that is yeah. you don't need a workout, right? You can just go do it. Well, but I'm so, like, want to follow the instructions and do what the coach says to do that, like, I'd love to have, like, an hour-long, like, here, here's what you do for this five minutes running, and then and then do this for 10 seconds. I guess that's, like, some of those races nowadays. Um, but that, that'd be a wonderful workout to, to have prescribed to you just so that you're not – because I think with a lot of people – and even I would have this feeling – this like confidence issue, like, am I doing this right? Or am I doing the right thing at this time? Am I, am I being playful enough with this movement or right. am I, you know, so right. you should make a workout like that. that. I would, I would do it. That's what I, that's what I'm doing, man. That's, Is that what that's, you do? Yeah, that's what I do. Okay, cool. Yeah. You have those things like available? Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, on the website I have, I'm, I'm redoing the video package and then, um, that's what I, I teach here and I do workshops. I'm going to paleo FX and teaching there and then teaching in ancestral health, whatever in Colorado. And that's, 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 the, that's my thing. So yeah, yeah. we should talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good for you. yeah. So is there anything else like that you along this this path of of learning how to run for far distances mistakes that you made that you're like oh man like this was an obvious one that people are going to run into i mean the the biggest one so so i hated running when i was a kid just would like i would dread that mile run day on gym class because we you know I did some normal amount of kid running but when when i was told i had to run a mile and it was now like timed and if you weren't the fastest or if you were in the back half of the class you would get laughed at and whistles blown like i got the idea from all that that running should be fast you, you when you run you are supposed to run fast and mm. i also had the sense that if i did, if i went out and did a running workout and i didn't come back exhausted then i didn't put it forth enough effort you know i didn't work hard enough uh it took me like a, i had to run a marathon get injured in the process of training for it and then struggle for four years to like get back and run another marathon to realize that I was just running too fast. Like all my workouts I was doing as workouts when they should have a lot of that mileage, 80% probably of your running mileage should be at a really, really relaxed conversational pace, like a pace where you can go out, run four or five or seven miles and come back and feel like more energetic than when you left versus totally spent the association most people have with running as just being this awful dreadful thing that you can't wait to stop and like yeah like when your body passes that threshold and you get into this fight or flight kind of state like yeah it is dreadful and you do want to stop but that's not what almost like one percent of your training should be at that feeling where like you just can't wait for this thing to be over and and so much of the rest should be like a totally enjoyable kind of what you were saying like you're outside having fun and moving yeah. and and that's 
like one of the best hours of my day now is when I go run and just put on a podcast and go at this slow pace, but like so slow that I'm not dying to get home. Just, I'm just out there moving and I'm in this creative sort of state, not the fight or flight state where all you can think about is how much you, you heard and you're monitoring your systems and you're wondering how much time you have left, yeah. but this other sort of zone that happens before that. And, uh, you know, I, I think if you can just start running slow, it totally changes what running means. And I think all the people, not all, but a lot of the people like me who say they hate running, they said they hate running fast. And and yeah, it doesn't, it hurts to run fast. It shouldn't feel good to run fast, but just slow down, like slow way, way down conversation. So you can carry on a conversation while you're running uh, and not like breaking up your sentences or your paragraphs, but like literally carry on a conversation. Uh, if you're running at that pace, I think that's that's kind of the beginning of building the foundation of of an aerobic base, and and you can run a marathon just training that way. You don't need to do any speed work or anything. It, it'll benefit you. It'll help you run faster. But if if you just want to go out and run slow, like you can you can get a marathon done. So yeah. uh, that that's a huge part of it. That along with the other the the 180 steps per minute key, like that's those to me are the two pillars really. That kind of once I figured those things out, running suddenly got easier, and I started making lots of improvements. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's it. And I mean, if and if you're not gonna, or if you want to do more than that, and you want to have hard workouts, just keep that easy day in between two hard workouts. That that having that rule, and I, you know, there are people who can who can do more than that and do harder workouts with less recovery. Um, but I think if I just keep that rule for myself of between any two hard workouts, I'm going to also have a really easy conversational pace run. Um, that that is enough that your body can then recover. Because so many runners go out and and they run the same pace all the time, which it's not fast enough to force adaptations like what you were talking about, right. but not slow enough to really be a recovery from anything, like still taxing the body. Yeah. And a lot of people who like call themselves a runner, what they mean is I go out five times a week and run six miles at a 745 pace where at the end of that, I'm like kind of spent and it was invigorating and challenging, but it really didn't do anything for you. It's what people call junk mileage because it's not mm. hard enough to force adaptation and it's not easy enough to really let your body regenerate. So right. that that's another huge one. Don't run that same pace all the time. Like be be either way slower or way faster than that and, and alternate the two. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You kind of, it's kind of like you do the, the Phil Mathetone method minus the butter. Do you know what it is? He was on my podcast and, and okay. that, it, it was a good conversation about training and then it went into the butter and, and then it was... <laughs> <laughs> I don't do Butterfield. Uh, but so I, uh, it's interesting how you're saying that. It's, it's like, it's analogous with how we live our lives. We're in this kind of pseudo, almost parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system. You know, it's like, I'm stressed out about my bills and about my, you know, my neighbors yelling at me and the pooping in the yard and the, the car broke down and the, we have all these different little mini stressors going on. You know, we never really give ourselves that opportunity to really, really come down, you know, and then we're blasting ourselves with blue lights at nighttime and we're, our cycles are, are, are kind of funny, you know, and it, it, it makes a ton of sense that, oh, imagine that. That's how we exercise too. How you do anything is how you do everything. You know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I don't. You don't need to I say anything to that. Just... Yeah. No, I, I want to like pre prescribe solutions, but like, man, I'm, I'm totally like, you know, it, it's so easy. Even when you're conscious of this stuff, it's so easy to, to go all day and just get the stimulation everywhere and not create that time. Um, but perhaps that's why meditation, you know, it has been shown to have so many good benefits. Right. Uh, and that's, that's a habit that I am continually trying to get to get going. And I'm always failing at really building the habit. But 
it's a good one for sure. Well, maybe that could be a potential roundabout sneaky solution is, you know, okay, maybe I'm so stuck on my running practice. You know, I need it to be this way. Maybe if you start looking at other aspects of your lifestyle in general, that will start to spill over on your perception of movement in general. You know, that's like, yep. that, that could be a thing. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe, that's, maybe, maybe yeah. that's maybe that's crazy. All right. Um, do you have any, any, uh, any other little bits or tidbits of wisdom in the relation of uh, uh, movement, running, uh, anything like that? We're kind of starting to get low on, low on time. Um, man, no, I don't think so. Like, that's, that is the core of what I what yeah. I think about running like it's it's people i, I just it, it's over people overcomplicate it with all these different things when instead of just kind of addressing the a few main core things that that really make it's that 80 20 thing you know that these few things that just make all the difference and there's all this other fluff that like for somebody probably matters a little bit and will help you get further but it's just for most people that's that creates too much stress and just overthink it and then you you know it doesn't need to be that that complicated yeah keep it simple stupid all right. There you go. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. What, how do people uh, check out your podcast, check out your site, find out about what, more about what you're doing? So everything I do is at nomeatathlete.com. Uh, we have a podcast called No Meat Athlete Radio. It's on iTunes and, and every other one of those podcast networks. Um, and I've got a book called No Meat Athlete. came out in 2013. And there are No Meat Athlete groups around the country and around the world. So if you go on my, my website or nomeatathlete.com slash groups, um, you'll find groups of, of people, you know, like me, vegetarian, vegan, fitness minded people who are really welcoming and have this kind of approach to it that I do. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you can show up there and, and be someone who eats meat. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring the meat to the, to the meetup, but you can go there and like be curious and they're not going to, hopefully not going to, uh, you know, tell you, you need to be vegan now and yeah. you're, you're terrible. <laughs> yeah. So something I appreciate about you and your just a, a approach to language and and you know your your podcast and everything is I don't feel any judgment from you. So I eat fish and I if the meat if the if the animal was like a What's strong wrong with you? power, <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> now here it comes, you know, and that's comes. that you know that's why we have war in the Middle East, you know, and not not because of vegetarianism. <laughs> But because of dogmatic perspectives where it's like, I, you know, my view is correct and you are evil because you have a different view. And then it's like, all right, well, good luck with that. No conversation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so That's how I, I feel. It. People try to start arguments and debates. I'm like, I don't need, I mean, I guess, I guess there's room for debate about which diet is better, but like, I don't, I just, I just tend to go away from those. Like, I, like, why can't we just pick one and I'll do it? Whatever, whatever makes you really, like we said, like if, if your diet doesn't make you happy and you don't feel good about eating it, it's probably not going to be good for you or do good for you. So like, yeah. I don't know, find one that works. Right. Cool, man. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate <laughs> it. All right. Thanks for having me. This was All fun. Right. Cheers. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body as well. Be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. 
And it's like a physical therapist and massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.